Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes. Right. Hello, everyone. This is Colin Schindler, along with John Holmes and Patrick Barkley, welcoming you back to another edition of Football Ruined My Life. This week, we're going to be talking about the man who has traditionally been referred to as the bastard in the black. Mm. Somehow, the bastard in the purple and the yellow doesn't have quite the same bite and sounds much more like a bad catwalk experience. We are living in an age when technology should have come to the aid of referees, but the current VAR mess has led many modern commentators to pine nostalgically for the days of J.R. Taylor, brackets Wolverhampton, Roger Kirkpatrick, brackets Leicester, Gordon Hill, brackets Leicester, I'm sensing a Leicester conspiracy here, John. How can you defend this appalling Leicester monopoly of referees? <laughs> we never got them, of course. They always did opposition games, but they were both characters. I have to say, having met them both, they were both real characters. Gordon Hill principally because he would answer back when they said, yeah, that was a shocker, ref. He was the man who said, you're not doing so well yourself today. Gordon was a very successful headmaster of a school nearby. Roger Kirkpatrick, on the other hand, let us say he was of stocky build. He was given various nicknames, including Mr Pickwick, because he <laughs> not only was he of stocky build, but he was follically challenged, shall we put it like that. His trademark was making dashing runs round the pitch. So, yeah, they were both characters. Leeds, they fondly remembered, Mr Tinkler, who caused a riot. Jack Taylor was another... Dennis Howell, who became the Minister for Sport, the Minister for Drought. Yep. There was also a referee, wasn't there? Was it Alf Bond, who only had one arm? So the referees were actually, they were famous even in those days. These days, they're very notorious, aren't they? People like John Moss went from being the drummer of Culture Club to sending Jamie Vardy off in a very famous... Uh, he's now retired, of course, and I remember meeting him actually... 
earlier this season and saying to him, you're pretty notorious here, John, providing you give me £500, I won't get the stadium announcer to announce where you're sitting today because he wasn't a popular guy at Leicester. Mm-hmm. But they were supposed to be helped out of bloomers by VAR. Before we get into VAR, Mm. what I would like to talk to Paddy about is Mm. some of those early referees. And the one I wanted to start with is J.R. Taylor Brackett's Wolverhampton Brackett's, Mm. who was a butcher in Wolverhampton and was allegedly the best referee in England, but gave a penalty in the very first minute of a World Cup final, which took a bit of nerves. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, to the away side. To Holland, yeah. Yeah, in a very fierce... You know, it's like in international football, it's like Liverpool against Man United. There's never going to be handshakes all round when Holland play Germany or West Germany, as it was at that time. It was a tremendous decision. He was a terrific referee, Jack Taylor was. He was a nice chap, but my God, I wouldn't have crossed him. Well, he was a butcher. Presumably he carried, carried his implements around with him. He didn't carry his cleaver around, <laughs> but he didn't need to. He was quite tall and imposing, you know, but a gentle. Do you remember where he was but, on the pitch when he gave that decision? My guess would be he was behind the tackle. The dispute was whether it was in or outside the area. It was Bertie Votes that gave it away. Yes, it was. And a lot of his Bertie Votes is tackling as really his performance in the 1977, was it? European, European Cup, Cup final, final yes, yes. Where Keegan yes. ran him ragged. Yeah. Um, and in fact, he gave away a penalty at the end of that one well, yeah. And he gave away a penalty, you know. But whether it was in or out, you tell me. Well, no, no, I'm famous. What I recollect is a very, very intense League Cup semi-final mm. in December 1969 between Manchester City and Manchester United up mm. Main Road, mm. first leg, in which United played irritatingly rather well. It was one all going into the 90th minute in the days when it finished yeah. in 92 minutes. And at that point, and I was in the Kipax, so I had a reasonable view about the same as Jack Taylor's, yeah. of Francis Lee going over Ian Yours' knee, mm-hmm. foot, whatever, mm-hmm. and Taylor giving the penalty. But Taylor was level with me on mm. the halfway line. <laughs> That's what I do remember. Ah, well, and I'd... Ian Yore was mm. absolutely incensed. Lee yeah. scored and we won by one goal. Yeah, well, I think some of the penalties Franny Lee won were... Shall we say forty years ahead of their time? <laughs> well, he's <laughs> and, dead now, and, so you can't libel him. No, I, I did like Taylor, and I'd like to talk about you know this natural authority. You see, yes. you mentioned Roger Kirkpatrick, who you could have cast him as a figure of fun yes. because of the Pickwickian yes. appearance and the pumping legs. Jack Taylor was the opposite. You know, people talk about Colina mm. as being the kind of person that players would not argue with because they'd be frightened. To me, Colina was a joke i'm not saying he wasn't a good referee but it's not intimidating to stare at people like a maniac Mm. that doesn't intimidate Mm. people it's the phlegmatic people that intimidate you so i think taylor was out on his own as as someone who had natural authority of all the referees i've ever seen of course referees now because of the technological so-called assistance in inverted commas can't possibly have authority because they're not assumed to be infallible. John, it's a fair point that Paddy's making, but what I wanted to talk about, Taylor giving penalties from the halfway line, referees weren't that fit in those days. They couldn't have been, not like they are now. They weren't professionals, were they? And I mean, to be honest, we all know that the people who became referees actually at that point were those not good enough to play. Mm. And they did other jobs. As I've said, Kirkpatrick, I think he was in the uh, knitwear business. Jack Taylor was a butcher in the Midlands. 
So was Jack Bodell, mm-hmm. for that matter, the um, great boxer. who wasn't a referee, he was a boxer, who notably once fought Ali. Mm. It was very difficult for these guys. These guys were the equivalent of rugby internationals when we were growing yeah. up, who actually did proper jobs. And yes, they trained on a couple of nights. I'm not sure that referees could do much more than do a bit of a run. But certainly, these days, these people are full-time professionals. Oh, yeah. not, so. I can't remember the last time I saw a referee who didn't have a flat stomach. You know. No, I mean? that's right. And they have to undergo medicals. I was at the game when the referee died at half-time. The unfortunate Mr. Husband from London, I think it was a fifth-round tie, mm. Leicester against West Brom. He died of a heart attack in the dressing room at half-time. Mm. The game... Proceeded. There was mm. an appeal. Is there a referee in the crowd? Someone volunteered and they went on as linesmen and the linesman became the referee. Couldn't happen now. The Yesterday, I read of a game in, was it Spain or was it Germany, mm. where the entire game was called off because a spectator had died in the crowd. I think that would happen in England. Then. Yes, and there was praise for one of the players of one of the sides for calling attention yeah to the fact that obviously something had happened in the crowd. For 50, 60 years, when I started regularly watching football, or probably more than that, at least two spectators a season would die. Yes. And the, and the game was never stopped. The, the game was never stopped. That's because our attitudes to death have altered. Mm. Let's not forget, this was shortly after the Second World War. Yes. People were very used to the fact that people died. I am, I am particularly interested in a man whose name was just the most brilliant name you could ever have for a referee, whose name was Maurice Fussy. Oh, yes. Do you remember? <laughs> F-U-S-S-E-Y. Yes. I well, don't think he... Was he actually as fussy as... It sounded like no, him, Roger, Roger Hargreaves, Mr Fussy. You no, know, it's, that, that, it's just yeah. like the guy for the referee from Great Bookham. I don't, well, did he book more people than other people? I don't know. <laughs> that was Ray Lewis. <laughs> yeah, Ray, Ray Lewis. Was was Roger him. Milford, he had the long hair. Yes. Who... Actually, as a joke, I think it might even have been at the cup final or one of Gary's last games in England made as if he was going to book it (laughs) and was laughing all over his face. A lot of this humour in football has gone... Yes. The whole game now, we've said social media and the degrees of hate and abuse Mm. that managers, players, everybody receives... Not only is life cheaper, but football is cheap and, mm. and so on. And I sometimes am in complete wonder why anyone would want to get involved. People ask me sometimes, do you not regret giving up being chairman? I say, not mm. for one minute mm. do I regret giving up because the level of abuse which you and your family are subjected to, this came up in a discussion before the game. Gordon Milne was there. Gary Newbon was there, we were talking about the abuse that chairmen receive, death threats, things plastered on cars. It's completely desperate. And referees, yeah, they did get a bit of hat. I think the abuse that Tinkler, Ray Tinkler, mm. received, and that was Don Revy and Leeds' fault. I yeah, mean, absolutely pa- a disgrace, mm-hmm. the abuse which they received, to a decision these days that actually had VAR been in, 
it would not have been questioned at all. It was a correct decision. Paddy, can you just, well, for those who didn't see the game in 1971, well, can I can't you just explain the exact it? details, but it was a sort of breakaway goal by West Bromwich yes. Yes. at Elland Road at a time when Leeds United were, you know, had a, a justified sense of yeah. entitlement yeah. not to be beaten by West Bromwich. And did it cost them a title? Yes, it, it was and a penultimate it, game, I think, of that right. season. And West Bromwich broke away. Everybody in the crowd thought it was offside, as we often because do. there was a man not involved running back, running back, which thereby played it onside. Yeah. The crowd didn't see that, didn't want to see it, but everybody wanted the referee to change his mind, which Tinkler correctly didn't. Now, managers in those days stayed in their dugout boxes. Yes, now but what actually, did he do? What did... wearing his car coat or carrying his car coat. I remember the I remember car coat. Right, yeah. He actually went onto the field to remonstrate. Now, of course, the players had been surrounded referees, so yeah. he could have been Which largely arguing. He was he was stopping now, them. Revy was but, joining. But Revy was there was absolutely no doubt Revy was joining it. Yeah. And there, of course, was one of the bases that Clough developed this distaste of Revy and because the he, one uh, thing that Clough may have done some bad things in his life. But in terms of questioning referees, he was absolutely firm on that. Clough would never attack the referee. Mike. Whereas Revy, he enhanced this sense of paranoia yes. about the whole thing. Yeah, but paranoia implies that his behaviour was sincere. I liked Revy and I respect, and I think his name has been tarnished a little bit too much. But I think there was also a cynical element in it in that what he may well have been saying to the referee or wanting to say to the referee was, listen, you're not going to get out here alive. Go to the linesman and get him to overrule it. People say, don't talk to the referee because you're not going to get the decision changed. Well, without VAR, you could, because there was always the option of the referee bottling it, going to the linesman and saying to the linesman, tell me that was offside. Talking of... John Moss and the game in the season that Leicester won the league title mm. the match against West Ham when Vardy was sent off for a second yellow card for simulation mm. now later in that game John Moss also gave a penalty for pushing in the penalty area which in the light of some of the things we see every week pushing in the penalty area I found that a strange decision mm. but he in the last minute of the game gave Leicester an exceedingly dubious penalty yeah. for a foul on Jeff Schlopp, which made the game a two-all draw. I think there the are penalty. circumstances in which levelling it up is yeah. OK. Well, yeah. Moss said to me, when I questioned him, when I threatened him with revealing his location to the crowd, <laughs> only a joke, only a joke, let me say. Neither did he offer me 500 quid not to do that. <laughs> but let us get back to that. I said to Moss... But you gave us that penalty in the last minute, and that was never a penalty. And he looked at me and smiled and said, I'd have never got out alive if I hadn't given that. <laughs> so I think in those days, had various of those decisions been subjected to VAR, although the Vardy one was a second, second yellow, so probably wouldn't. Well, second yellows should be, because they're a red. Correct. He still insisted that the second yellow card was correct, although... I don't think, and we've discussed this before, if you've got the pace and you get ahead of a centre-back, you don't have to run in a straight line. Mm -hmm. What Vardy always did was to go towards the side the player chasing was. Yeah. So it was inevitable that they would trip them up. To me, that's clever play. That's like outpacing a defender and 
knowing that he'll be too slow and he'll bring you down. Right. Well, I'm sorry, that's good football. Correct. That was my view at the time, and it, it remains that view. But other decisions were questionable. Whether VAR would have put those right, would they have overruled the one for pushing and pulling in the penalty area? I don't know. As Colin says, we'll get to VAR. But yes, there was a sense in certain games that the referee had discretion. Whether it's right or wrong that they tried to even it up, whereby they would say, well, it was justice in the end. It's difficult, isn't it? Well, certainly in cricket terms, it's well known that umpires do what's called the adjuster. And they think they've made a mistake with an LBW. You get given a terrible LBW decision, but you're on your way because he knew he knew he got it wrong before. So that's yeah, the adjuster. And without now you can have the appeals. So yeah, well, even, as I said before DRS. I mean, that's the point. That's, that's certainly that's not the point. Well at cricket now. In fact, I find the whole use of technology and review in cricket. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, mostly, matches. absolutely. But a lot of it is like, see, the one thing in football that works seems to be technology is the referee's watch with the ball cross the line or not, it's great. I suspect if Rudolf Kreitlein mm. had a watch in 1966, Jeff Hurst's second goal would not have been given. No, no, no he's miles over the line, Colin. Oh, right, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll take it all back. Paddy may not agree. Uh, I still think that game should be replayed <laughs> under modern <laughs> conditions. Most of the German team, plus our team, are no longer with well, us Well, ten now. of our, our so, teams going in. Well, I think Jeff Hurst might still yeah. score a hat-trick under those <laughs> Oh, yeah, he certainly would. Can yeah. I make a wider point to both of you in social terms, which is that we were talking of the referee's natural authority in the days before television, and there were these referees like Jack Taylor who had it. Is it part of a wider social trend that means that teachers don't have the respect they used to have, policemen don't have the respect they used to have, maybe in some cases justifiably, but certainly there was a sense when we were growing up in the 50s Mm. that there were men, usually men, of authority who demanded that kind of respect... And referees will be part of that. But you're talking about a different age. A lot of the deference at that point of view was, in my opinion, pretty disgraceful. You know, interviews with politicians, good morning, Prime Minister, uh-huh. welcome back to the country. You know, then Robin Day came in and yeah. the start of questioning was yeah. about undoubtedly. One of the things we've lost in the last two or three years is politicians in our reluctant to even allow themselves to be questioned. Mm. In particular, what happened with the church in Ireland in the 1950s and 60s in Ireland, the priests were absolutely revered and their words were, (laughs) hesitate to use the word gospel, but you understand what I mean. Mm. Now that, Mm. in the light of what has subsequently been revealed, of course, Mm. has changed the situation. Is Ireland a better place for it? I think it is, and I think Irish people you'd speak to would say, definitely, there are pluses and minuses on this thing, and and the same with the use of technology. My view is once you've got technology, you have to, in fact, use it because other people use it if you don't, and you look silly. I make the point about in the schools that that teachers spend most of their time trying, usually unsuccessfully, to keep order. Yes. And and the actual attempts to teach these kids something disappears. I think that's a good analogy with teachers. And I think it's more relevant than politicians. Politicians are seeking scrutiny. Teachers and referees are seeking to serve the game or the educational field. At the same time, teachers were administering corporal punishment. And some of the teachers who taught me, I would say were actually sadists. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. 
Why am I apologizing? Yes, why are you? For That's historic what abuse. <laughs> I, I was given quite a lot of corporal punishment, and I dare if it did do that well. <laughs> but no, the, Paddy, I think we can all agree it did you no good whatsoever. <laughs> I'm normal. <laughs> but it is true that respect for referees definitely. I mean, for example, a couple of years ago, well, it was less than that, Mitrovic's behaviour at Old Trafford, where he jostled the referee and got, I think, seven matches, eight matches. Yes, That's scandalous. Yeah. He should not have played again that season. Yeah. There were 13 games to go, and he should not have played. As it turned out, he went off to Saudi Arabia anyway. But the game is not tough enough. There is less authority. There was too much before. I mean, John makes very good points about the priesthood. And, you know, it wasn't just the Roman Catholic priests in, no. in Ireland. There was a lot more abuse of authority mm. going on. Esther Ranson, thank God, mm. did something to, to make children less frightened yeah. of their yeah. own families. Yeah. There are a lot of things that have got much, much better and had to. But I still think there is a middle ground somewhere that allows referees a bit more respect and more importantly frankly school teachers i asked this question returning to football without prejudice as it were well yeah. with prejudice but prejudice mm. under control which is that for a long time of course no referees gave penalties at old traffic against manchester united when ferguson was manager yeah. there was a famous occasion when andy derso gave a penalty keen then led the united players Yaps, towards the corner flag yeah in the end, it was about five-minute hold-up, and the bloke missed the penalty. Yeah. Now, you know, Ferguson has many merits. Not my favourite human being in the world, but, you know, I'm not going to be yeah. you know, blind about this. Yeah. But I have always felt instinctively that his attitude to referees, as opposed to Clough, mm -hmm. in terms of what he told his players, was referees could be intimidated. Yeah. Now, is that true, and was that a game-changer or not? I think it's undoubtedly true. And it is actually a very good argument in favour of technology because that does finish it from that point of view, although it hasn't completely finished managers ranting and raving. But one of the other things we've got now is managers are interviewed after the game when they're in a highly emotional yeah, yeah. state. But you, you wrote about Ferguson quite a lot. Yeah. And did you ever talk to him about referees and his attitude towards them? No, because he would have lied to me. There was no point in speaking to him about it. We all knew what he was up to. It was intimidation. More interesting, really, to speak to referees of his time, such as David Ellery. Mm. He was talking once about Ferguson and the things he got up to, the intimidation he got up to. And he said, one, one time Archie Knox came in and I said, oh, was Archie a sort of an ameliorating effect on him? He said, no, he was worse. Mm. It was sort of like tag wrestling. The referee was pushed around. Now, the thing with Derso, and that incident was brilliant, Ferguson, in one of his more candid moments, admitted that he was a wee bit ashamed about that. And he told the story of how he'd gathered the players together, you know, Stam and Keane and all these ruffians. Or they weren't ruffians as people, but they looked like ruffians on that day. And said, listen, boys, you, you went too far. That looked very bad. That was a bad look at the bulging veins and all that on television he told the story and he said they went out of the room and I could hear them giggling on the way down back to their dressing room and he told that in an affectionate way you know so he no more wanted them to live by that his instruction than they wanted to do so and they knew that 
And it was quite interesting in one of Ferguson's many autobiographies where he talked about the decline in public standards. There's absolutely no sense that he contributed to that. He was probably, in terms of sport, one of the people who contributed most radically to that. After all, where did Jose Mourinho learn his Mm. public gamesmanship from? Alex Ferguson, Mm. largely. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-Alex Ferguson. Well, okay, I'm a bit, but he's a hero to me as well as a villain. The reason why I so much more prefer Matt Busby to Ferguson... Yeah, me too. ...was that... He and Joe Mercer were mates, you know. I mean, yeah. The City United rival was Saturday intense. night in a restaurant, Chalton Camardi, you'd know where to find the two yeah, of them. Yeah. With the two wives Absolutely. having a bowl of spaghetti in an Italian restaurant. There was a sense in which all that rivalry under Busby and Mercer was a much different proposition. But I want to ask John about one particular incident. I think it must be the mid-90s, and I think it was Paolo Di Canio, and the referee was Paul Alcock. Mm. Paul Alcock got pushed by Di Canio. And he sort of staggered back and fell over. A lot of people said he should have got booked for simulation. One or or two of the players expressed their sort of disgust to me. Oh, wasn't the referee pathetic? Mm. Well, I I was going to say it wasn't his most dignified moment. But you know what? He was probably fairly astonished that that was happening. But Di Canio, let's put it like this, he was a very, very excitable player. He got eight matches, I think. He got eight matches. matches. I think that's right. You know, we've had quoted as by some people, oh, in rugby this never happens. But you know what? It actually does happen occasionally. Has behaviour in rugby got worse as a result of professionalism? Probably, yes. But they always used to bite each other. And they used to think it was part of the game to punch each other, cause all sorts of mayhem and some of the things that went on in scrum. So I'm not inclined to be quite as black and white on that one. And there will be bad behaviour. There will be bad behaviour in society and so on. I go back to what I've said earlier. It's a sense of values. When we grew up, we were in the aftermath of the Second World War. Our parents, by and large, I know from my father's point of view, who spent his 21st birthday on the hill at Casino with two people either side of him being shot dead, that that would alter very much their perspective and the way they saw life, death and authority and so on. We've had Gordon Milne on as a guest. I've read Gordon's book, which I can recommend to anyone. Uh, it's called... Sh- uh, Shankly, Shank- My Dad and Me. Shankly, My it's, Dad it's and Me. It's a wonderful read, I Yeah, and in that, he talks about national service and so on and his view of authority as a result of it now Gordon was a guy who went through the great days of Liverpool and is a manager at several levels you couldn't meet a more polite and sensible and respected figure in football than Gordon he attributes that to national service Mm. I think there are a lot of things with national service I feel very lucky I didn't have to do it yeah but nevertheless one cannot deny that the values that he talks about I was with Gordon at a match recently it was very windy and there were plastic bags blowing about all over the pitch and Gordon said to me I can't understand why the players don't pick them up and take them away yeah and I said to him half jokingly it's the National Service, Gordon. Yeah. You always became a tidy person yeah. as a result of that. 
you could argue that those values made him a better manager. Made him a better person. Made him a better person. And Gary Lineker, in his introduction to Gordon's book, says he remembers him coming every morning, always wearing shorts, never wearing tracksuit bottoms, no matter what the weather, ran onto the training pitch, looked at Lineker and said something like, you don't fancy it again today, (laughs) which also gave his sense of what a clever manager he was and how he managed people individually and so on. But these people were different. They came from a different background, a different world to that which we get now. Some of our values are, I think, better, Mm. and some are worse. I'm Mm. afraid we have to live with that. But I cannot, for the life of me, live with the abuse that flies around now. Some of it beyond belief. And if you want to really get down to it, why did I not want to stay chairman of a football club? Why on earth do you think I would want to subject myself Mm. and my family to the kind of abuse that I would inevitably get. It's extraordinary to me that abuse has become so common. I've been talking with my friend, our producer, Paul Kobrak, about a programme possibly to do with Kenneth Tynan saying the F word on television for the very first time in 1965 on a late-night satire programme. And the world fell in. We all remember that. We were all teenagers. We thought it was marvellous. I mean, you know, at 15, why wouldn't you think it was absolutely brilliant? I was also in the theatre the first night in the play Hotel in Amsterdam, where Paul Schofield, very distinguished mm. actor, came out and said something like, well, fuck this, or something. <laughs> and the crowd applauded. And what I'm saying is What's that... What's it got to do with referees, though? Oh, the, the amount of abuse, the amount of bad language yeah, yes. that referees well, hear on a regular basis. You go back to Gordon Hill, because Gordon Hill was known, even as a schoolteacher, if they were swearing at him, he, he would swear back, back yeah. rather than... Take umbrage and send them off. Yeah, yeah. Because he understood. But you've got that. to have a special mental agility. Correct. To win that battle. Yeah. You see, Gordon Hill, I knew him only slightly, but I got the impression that he was happy to take his chances yeah. in a verbal battle with anybody. Yeah. A nice fellow, though, he was. But, Paddy, there's a difference between, I think, swearing on the field in the hearing of a referee mm. and swearing at a referee, which is completely, completely different. Completely different. Absolutely. I remember Thierry Henry saying when I was a journalist saying to me, the trouble with referees is now you can't talk to them. And I felt like saying, Thierry, every time a decision goes against you, you want to have a a debate with the referee. I didn't say, I wish I'd have the guts to say this to him. But there's another 21 players on the field. If you all have a minute of chat with the referee Mm. every time Mm. you disagree, the game's not going to finish till after Mm. midnight. And the other thing I thought was, and didn't say, so you beat three men and then shoot over the bar, as even you did, Thierry. Is the referee entitled to say to you, seriously, Thierry, that is pathetic. Mm. You need to train on your finishing. Or you are a complete... Well, yeah, that's, are, where, I, or, that's or, where I or, thought you or, were going. Or you, yeah. or, or, or you are a piece of merd. Yeah. 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 So players can only see it one way. They can't see it both ways. Of course. So we all say daft things, especially as a result of things going against us and so on, because football's an emotional game, it's a game of opinions and so on. The difference surely is that it's the level of hatred and abuse that comes into it. Football crowds didn't used to be segregated. Mm. Sometimes you were sitting again next to an opposition fan and you'd have a laugh with them. 
But nowadays, is it social media? Is it just the state the world has got into? I have no idea. Football is a reflection of that. Does it lead in that respect? We sometimes, and the media are very keen on this, have a go at footballers and say, oh, they influence young people. Mm. And then I look at the front pages of newspapers these days. Mm. Sometimes they resort to abuse and abusive levels. They would say they're reflecting what is happening in society. But they're also meant to be opinion leaders. Paddy, is it possible for the referees to reassume that air of authority we yes, were talking about. Yes. And if so, how do they do it? Quite easy. I've been saying it for, I don't know, 15 years, ever since it became obvious that there was going to be a demand for VAR. The primacy of the referee can be reasserted by scrapping Stockley Park, by scrapping guidelines, by scrapping everything except one thing, a TV set. And not a special TV set with special angles or lines or anything like that. The same TV set that the at-home spectators get. It should be watched by the fourth official. Somebody else can hold up boards or keep the managers apart, do these stupid, trivial tasks that a fourth official does. Why a fourth official needs to be a qualified referee, I'll never know, because their job is to keep a couple of babies apart in the technical area. That's a job for a crash leader, (laughs) not a fourth official. The fourth official, given that he's a qualified referee of the same status as the man or woman in the middle, should have equal authority. If this had been done instead of this cock-up of VAR, we wouldn't have any problems whatsoever. Because all we would have, we'd have no stoppages, we'd have no VAR at grounds, apart from the fourth officials. And given that he's of the same status as the referee, he is able to say in the referee's ear, that wasn't over the line. That simplifies it completely. It, a complete, it, it gives reduce, you VAR reduces, in a way. But the, it reduces VAR yeah, yeah. to what it was in the pre-television era, uh, which was a linesman who could raise his flag and say, ref, as once happened at Wigan, Wayne Rooney's just nutted a guy. You're going to have to send him off. The referee implicitly believes the linesman, goes over, shows Wayne Rooney a red card, and television the same night proves that that's the correct decision. And the, and it's the, as simple as and that. And the penalty is the, is the flag across the chest. The, the, that's the it. The flag across the chest, exactly. The fourth official basically does what the linesman used to do. It's as simple as that and should be as simple as that. John, one final word on VAR. I mean, your client, Mr Lineker, has said recently that having been in favour of it, now has changed his mind, he's not in favour of it. I think there's some good things and some bad things. Personally, I don't object as much as certain people do, to the time lag. I think adding extra at the end of the game is good. It still, at the end of the day, comes down to a bit of judgment, but if you've got the technology there, I suspect you have to use it. Well, we've covered referees and technology, but we've covered referees from the 1950s when we first started watching football to today. And it's very odd that, that in some peculiar way, they are less authoritative now than they were then, though they're now aided by other things that we didn't have then. But it's been a fascinating discussion. I want to thank you both, Patrick Barclay and John Holmes, and everybody for listening. If you want to have your say on VAR and referees, and I'm sure you do, we'll always read whatever you say to us if you write to us at footballruinmylife at gmail.com. 
we will certainly read it and disagree or agree accordingly. Thank you very much for listening. See you all next time on Football Ruin My Life. That was the voice of authority, Colin Schindler, <laughs> to whom we have the greatest... Oh, for, sorry, for whom we Ooh, have we the have greatest, greatest respect. respect. Absolutely. But isn't it time we had a woman uh, <laughs> taking your job? <laughs>